The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hi, and welcome to It's Relatable on Mind, Body, Spirit FM, where we talk about all things relationship. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and I'm so happy you're here. Get comfortable and let's dig in. Hi, everybody. Um, This episode is going to be a little different. I'm not interviewing anybody this week um, because it's the end of the calendar year and I really wanted to sort of kick off 2023 by thinking about our relationship to possibility. Um, and I, what I mean by that is where are the places in our lives where we do things by rote, where we have sort of knee jerk reactions or reflexive responses to things, um, which are perfectly normal for us to do, right? We, our, our brains love a shortcut. We love a way to sort of be efficient and save time and energy. Um, but sometimes I know in my own life for sure, those reflexive responses can actually limit us in ways that we don't really think about. And until we can start to imagine things a little bit differently or think about the other possibilities there that are around us, um, we, we can be stuck. We can stay stuck. And so I'm going to tell you a couple little stories today. This morning, um, I was walking my dogs, as I often do in the morning, and I ran into a neighbor, um, and she was lamenting about the squirrels. She has this beautiful tree by her house that has these, I think they're called Mexican plums. They're these little, tiny, sort of almond-sized um, red fruits. And this tree that she has is just absolutely prolific. And it drops these things on the sidewalk. And every single morning, she's out there, you know, tending to her patch of the world by sweeping her sidewalk and cleaning up all of these fruits that, you know, make a mess. People step on them. They can be slippery. It just, it's kind of a disaster. But she was lamenting that there is this sort of little community of squirrels that, um, are the ones that are knocking this fruit out of the tree faster than she can clean up after it. So she was saying how there, she's really frustrated with them. Now, one of the things you should know about this neighbor is she is a retired veterinarian. And so she was telling me she actually feels really guilty about this sort of mean thoughts that she has in regards to these squirrels because she loves animals and her entire career was based on the premise of loving and caring for animals. But these squirrels are just absolutely driving her to distraction um, because at 70 plus years old, she's out there at least once a day cleaning all this stuff up. And 
I can tell you, um, because my dogs and I walk past her house a minimum of two times a day, often four or five times a day, we've seen those squirrels and they are bold. And my dogs, you know, want to chase them and will never catch them because my dogs can't climb trees, but it, they're, they are very bold squirrels. And so I, you know, I was laughing at her and she just, she said, I know I shouldn't let it bother me, but it, they drive me nuts. I'm so, they, I, you know, I really have these <laughs> very not nice thoughts about these squirrels. So I was telling her this story when I lived in Seattle, I lived on Capitol Hill <clears throat> for part of the time that I lived there. And there were, there were two schools fairly close to us. There was, um, a, an all girls Catholic high school that was a few blocks away. And then there was an elementary school that was a few blocks in an opposite direction. And the, most of the houses in our neighborhood were older. They didn't have garages. So most people parked on the street and it was fine, except there was this one neighbor that always parked like three feet away from this, from a stop sign at a fairly busy intersection. And it really drove me to distraction because, um, he, it made it really, really hard to see. You know, you couldn't get sort of right up on the stop sign. Um, and also because people parked on both sides of the streets, it made the street really, really narrow. And often one car had to kind of squeeze to one side to let a car coming the opposite direction go past them. And you couldn't do that at the intersection near the stop sign because this person was always parking right up on the stop sign. And Every morning I would leave to drive my kids to school and on the way home, I would become angry with this person because I knew I'm going to come up on that stop sign. It's going to be really hard for me to see. Are there kids walking across the street? Is there a car coming the opposite direction or perpendicular to where I was going? Um, it just really made things very, very hard. And I had all these little fantasies in my mind. My, should I leave a nasty note on their windshield? Should I go, you know, call the city and ask them to come paint the the red line along the curb that shows, you know, you're, you need to be 10 feet away from the stop sign. You're not allowed to park here. Do I call and have somebody try to give them a ticket? Like I, I was running through all the possibilities. At one point, a few weeks in, I realized I was getting angry before I even saw that car. Like I would get up in the morning, make my coffee, go to get my kids ready for school. And before I even left to take them to school, I was already feeling that sort of burning in my belly from this person, this entitled person who was parking over and over and over again in this spot that was absolutely inappropriate for them to park in. And... I thought, wow, okay, this is really, <laughs> this is really bothering me. And then I had this fantasy of like, I'm going to go get my own can of red paint and I'm going to paint the curb myself. And maybe this person will get the hint. And so then, and then there was one day where I was on my way back from dropping kids off at school and I came up on that car and this thought popped into my head. What if... I just decided not to be upset about this anymore. What if I just decided it's not mine to solve? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not gonna, 
I'm not going to let it derail my morning anymore. I mean, the person who was parking there was clearly not bothered by the fact (laughs) that I was bothered. They were not losing any sleep over it. And here I am, like literally grinding my teeth as I drive past this car five days a week, wondering which of the neighbors it is. You know, can I go knock on their door and say something to them? How am I going to do it without making them so angry that they don't hate me? You know, right? I, there were, I was spending so much mental energy and emotional energy too on this whole thing. And I thought, what if, what if I just, as an experiment, what if I just decided, what if I just said out loud, yep, I'm not going to let that bother me anymore. And I did that <clears throat> for probably three days in a row. Where And I didn't have any expectation of myself. There was no judgment. There was no, you know, it was just like, this is just going to be an experiment. What if? And by the third day, you know what? I didn't care anymore. I didn't. There are so many bigger things in the world. I had never gotten into an accident. I had never hit a small child at that intersection. You know, I mean, all of the things that I had spun myself up about in my head because this person was parking somewhere they weren't supposed to be parking. None of those things had happened. And so I was able to just kind of let go. So I was telling my neighbor this, and she said, oh, I would have gotten the can of red paint. I definitely would have gotten the can of red paint and just painted the curb line myself. And I laughed because, you know, I would have done that too. And I'm not saying that I'm a better person than anybody else. I certainly do not believe that. It was just really, really fascinating to me. It was just really, really fascinating to me that I could have a moment where maybe all the stars and planets aligned and I was able to imagine a completely different scenario, a completely different reality. And in that reality... It didn't bother me. I wasn't going to let it bother me. And that's all it took. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things that feel sort of petty and unimportant that I don't get annoyed by literally all the time because I do. I absolutely do. But in that one instance, I was able to tap into the power of what if and just let that be something new. Let it give me some sort of new possibility. So that's a pretty mundane example. And the next story I'm going to tell you is a lot less mundane. And it's something that is requiring me to stretch a lot farther and to practice a lot more. And it is absolutely informing my relationship with possibility. And how, no matter how old I am, and no matter how many experiences I've had in one particular vein in my life, I can experience things in a different way, simply by opening myself up, simply by relaxing back into possibility. So this story is a story that I like to call the scary love hammock. And you'll see why in a minute. So some folks who listen to this podcast are aware 
that I lived for nearly 30 years, most of my adult life, in Seattle, Washington. And in March of 2021, my two youngest moved out to the Los Angeles area. And I was single and I work for myself. And I kind of looked around and thought, what am I doing here? You know, the pandemic lockdown had really changed the landscape of a lot of my relationships. And it had changed the landscape of my work. And um, I was beginning to question a lot of things about the kinds of the places where I was putting my energy and time. And I decided I was just going to blow up my life and start all over again. And that was scary, but that's a whole different story. So I say all of that to say that what that means is that in May of 2021, I ended up in a new place on the central coast of California in a town where I really didn't know anybody. My aunt and uncle lived in town, um, but I didn't have, I didn't know any of my neighbors. I didn't have coworkers. I, you know, my children were born and raised in Seattle. So that was my whole life. Um, you know, I really, I really didn't know anybody in town. And, you know, we were still in that sort of cycle of locking things down and then cautiously opening things up and then locking them down again and cautiously opening things up. And so um, it was, it was hard to meet people. It was challenging to meet people. And also I was really thinking about, you know, wanting to have, I was wanting to be very intentional about the kinds of relationships that I was having. So my 50th birthday was coming up and I basically anticipated that I was just going to be alone that day, not necessarily by choice, but also not, not by choice. Um, you know, my kids lived in different cities. I'm definitely not a fan of parties. I do not like to be the center of attention. I'm not a big birthday person. Um, I'm not the kind of person who appreciates any sort of public acknowledgement of my birthday. Like, don't take me out and have like some waiter sing to me or, you know, anyway. So on one level, I was actually okay spending my birthday alone. Um, although, you know, I, I, I was a little unsure how I was going to feel, you know, when it came down to it, actually that day, my 50th birthday, what's it going to be like to spend the day alone? I knew there would be you know, my kids would call and um, a handful of friends would probably call and say, you know, happy birthday too. And I'd get some cards in the mail or whatever. But it, but what was it going to be like to just be completely alone? And then the day before, my youngest, my two youngest texted to say they were going to drive up and spend the day with me. And my heart kind of broke open a little bit. I mean, it was, I, I thought, oh, this, that's really sweet. And then a new friend that I had recently met, um, thanks to one of my aunts, introduced me to her, texted to ask when my birthday was. And I, and I was like, mm, well, it's pretty much in two days. And she was like, are you kidding me? Let's go out to dinner. And she was willing to take the kids with us too. And 
I, that little crack in my heart widened a little bit more. And then my aunt and uncle messaged the night before to say, you know, ask if they could take me out to lunch for my birthday. And I pretty much cracked wide open. It was like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm not going to be alone. And then on the day of my birthday, when I was already pretty much as wide open as I've ever been and feeling super vulnerable, this really magical thing happened. And part of this group of amazing human beings, most of whom I've never met in person, but we call ourselves the nest and we have vowed to have each other's backs and support each other no matter what. Um, we are spread across the planet and one of the women in the nest messaged, we have a WhatsApp. We have several actually WhatsApp threads for different purposes in this group of 40-ish people. And one of the women messaged in the main WhatsApp group and wished me a happy birthday. And then another one did. And then another one did. And within 90 minutes, there were close to 50 notifications in the group chat. People wishing me happy birthday. And I found myself really overwhelmed and shaky at this outpouring of loving messages. And the first thing that went through my mind was, why does any of these people care that it's my birthday? And immediately, immediately, instantaneously on the heels of that first thought was, they don't care. They're only doing it because Julie started it. And it would be weird not. It would be weird to be the one person that didn't say happy birthday to me. And that felt so much more comfortable to me. It felt so much more, oh, yep, mm-hmm, that's it. And then I asked, what if? What if they do mean it? What if each of these human beings across the planet, most of whom I have never met in person, is taking a moment out of their own busy lives to think about me and wish me well on my birthday. And as much as that seems like a really mundane kind of thing, it brought me to my knees. So there's one friend of mine that I have met in person a couple of times who's in my same time zone. And she's part of the nest. Her name's Nikki. And I just somehow had a feeling that she was going to get it, that she would understand. So I texted her and I said, I don't, I don't think I can do this. This is really scary. It's really hard. And I'm sitting here crying because everybody's wishing me a happy birthday. And she texted me back and she said, oh, yeah. Sometimes it's really hard to receive. What does that, you know, what does that feel like? And I said, you know, I, there's, I think often in images. And so I said, I, I was imagining that all of the love coming at me from all these amazing, complex, brilliant human beings was weaving this enormous hammock. 
and all I had to do was climb in and be held by it. And the thought of climbing in and resting in that care and consideration and love is one of the most terrifying things I've ever experienced. There is no graceful way to get into a hammock. None. There is always that one moment when you wonder if someone is watching and they're going to laugh at the awkward way you shove your butt over first and try not to get your foot tangled in the web or that other moment when you're not quite sure if it will stay upright or if it's going to flip and knock you out into the dirt on your ass. Right? There's no graceful way to get into a hammock. Is it going to hold? Am I going to, even if I manage to get into it, Is it going to hold my weight? Or is one end of it going to come collapsing down? Am I going to rip that O-ring right out of the tree with my fat ass, right? Can this hold me? Can it hold me? Can I be held in love? Can I be held in community? Nikki understood She totally understood. And then she said one of the best things anyone has ever said to me in my whole life. She said, I'll spot you. I'll hold it while you climb in. And if I thought I'd been brought to my knees before, I was brought to my knees again. I was 50 years old and I was just beginning to have the barest sensation of being held in community. We are killing ourselves and each other because we don't feel held. We are addicted to drugs and food and weapons. We physically and verbally attack each other in public because we don't feel held. We hide behind laws and cultural standards because we don't know what it is to hold each other in our hardest moments and our ugliest moments and our most triumphant moments. We haven't learned what it feels like to believe that we are held unless we're producing, contributing, acting, or looking a certain way. And the only way we're going to learn is to do it for each other. To take that leap of faith and hold each other in respect and care. When we feel like our well-being is something that the collective cares about and cares for, we can rest in that space and come out ready to weave our strand of the hammock. It's terrifying. I know it is. And it's also the only thing that's left to do if we're going to make this life better for everybody. So what's your relationship with possibility? Where can you reimagine what things might look like? Where do you have a knee-jerk reaction about something that creates separation or isolation that pushes us away from each other? Where can you stop and just entertain the question, what if it's the opposite? 
I think that's where it begins. I think having a relationship with possibility is where it begins. I like to think about practicing for some portion of every day, looking at something that is that feels really familiar to me and imagining it as strange. And then looking at something that seems really strange and imagining it as familiar. How can we turn things on, our, on their heads, even in our minds, even just as a thought experiment? And then how can we just for a while, it could be 90 seconds or it could be 90 minutes, remain open to the possibility that it could be different, that everything could be different. So as we close out 2022 and begin 2023, I would just hope that maybe some folks will be encouraged to re-examine their relationship with possibility. Because our imaginations as human beings are not big enough to contain all of the possibilities. They just aren't. So how do we open ourselves up to what if? And then just see what happens. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. As always, let me know if you have thoughts or questions or wonderings, or if you have a story about your relationship with possibility and how it changed your life. You can email me. All my contact information is in the show notes, or you can leave a voice memo at the mindbodyspirit.fm app. If you download it onto your phone or your computer, there's a way to leave a 30-second voice memo for me. So please reach out and be well and keep listening. Thanks, everyone. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of It's Relatable. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and you can find links to all the things we talked about on this episode in the show notes on the webpage for the podcast at mindbodyspirit.fm. Please reach out to me with questions, comments, and ideas for the show and download episodes and leave reviews on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you stream podcasts. If you like, subscribe, and follow, You'll be sure to get updated whenever there's a new show to listen to. The music at the beginning and the end of the show is a clip from a song called Get By. It was written by Lauren O'Driscoll, Alexander Parker Lawrence, and Moses Ray Walker. The song is performed by Lorelai and Sam Rydell, and you can find the whole amazing song wherever you stream music. I highly recommend it if you need a mood lifter. I also want to give a shout out to Moses Walker for helping me produce this podcast. He is always and forever making these technical themes seem so much more doable for me. And I am grateful for his expertise and advice. Until next time, take care, mind your relationships, and be well, everyone.
Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.